0: Okay, this week's part, I'm going to read from a, a section of the portion. We did, I read the very first beginning part of the portion uh, when we read the Torah portion, but I want to look at, at Genesis 47, beginning at verse 8. If you have your Bibles, I encourage you to turn and read there with me. Um, it's just a, a short section of Scripture I want to read that um, is prophetic and overlooked, so it's, a, it's an extremely prophetic couple of verses, but largely overlooked by most people. Uh, and so I want to talk about them this morning and hopefully encourage you to, uh, uh, to do that. Okay, before, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show you just how ignorant I am here about something. Now, ignorance not bad if you recognize it and understand it. But someone who knows how to, can you come and put my phone so it won't keep turning off? You know, the screen, somebody who knows, yeah, come on, hurry up, hurry, hurry, hurry. I know there's a way to do that, but it would take me longer to do it than it would, but every time I look down at it, it's off, and I have my notes on my phone this morning, so so if you'll take care of that. No, don't play the games. <laughs> I'm, I'm just, I was just kidding. <laughs> Uh, 47, Genesis 47, verse 8 and 9. And I'm going to go ahead and read these while he's getting that taken care of. It says, And Pharaoh said to Jacob, How old are you? And Jacob said to Pharaoh, The days of the years of my pilgrimage are 130 years. Few and evil have the days of my life been, and have not attained the days of the years of the life of my fathers in the days of their pilgr- pilgrimage. Now, I want you to think about these words. This is Jacob, who is the head of Israel. These are are the people of God. These are the, the descendants of Abraham. These are the followers of God. And this is his first conversation with the king of Egypt. Okay? So, this is an opportunity for the king of Egypt to ask this man, who's the father of the man who saved Egypt, any question he wants to. And this is the opportunity for Jacob, the man of God, to say anything he wants to, to Pharaoh. So, just imagine as we go forward to like the the Brit Hadashah and the Brit Hadashah, when Paul has his opportunity to speak before the king and the conversation they had, okay, where Paul shares his testimony and how he came to, you don't know how to do it? Okay, not on an apple. Does anybody know how to do it on an apple? Okay. I know this should not be this difficult. Thank you. What we need is a seven-year-old, and we sent all of them out of the room, because they all know how to do this stuff. You got it? Perfect. Thank you. Okay. Now I have to figure out how to turn it back on, <laughs> but not right now. Anyhow, think about this for a minute. Think about yourself. If you were the leader of a group of people, of an entire nation of people, and you were having opportunity to have a congregation of the leader of the free world, if, if for instance, you were able to go up right now before January 21st and speak to the president and you had an opportunity for a one-on-one conversation with the president, what would your conversation be? If if you only knew you had one opportunity to say something to somebody of that power, of that level, a leader that through one word could change everything. And when we put this back in the case of Pharaoh of Egypt, whatever he said was law, it wasn't like he had to deal with Congress and the Supreme Court and all. He was seen as, a, as not only a king, but a God, and if he said so, that was it. And, and this is Jacob having his very first conversation with Pharaoh, and Pharaoh having his very first conversation with Jacob. So, we would think that this might be an important conversation for us to take a look at, and maybe that there's something in there that we can glean from this to help us with our understanding. Now, before I dig into that, I want to say that this week's parsha is probably, this week and last week, but the two of them together are probably the most prophetic parashot in the Torah that teach us about Yeshua and the relationship of Yeshua as the Messiah And the first coming and second coming and all of the things that go on in there. Just some of the symbolisms and types between people in this Parsha and Yeshua. Judah, which is the tribe that Yeshua comes from, offers himself as a sacrifice or an offering for his brother. Seems like that would be kind of symbolic of Yeshua, no? Okay, another one. Joseph was sold... Yeshua was sold. Another one, Joseph was hidden from his brothers, Yeshua was hidden from his brothers. Another one, Joseph was thought to be dead, Yeshua was thought to be dead. Another one, both had bloody robes that were of great value, Joseph's long-sleeved tunic, and Yeshua's robe that they've tossed lots for. Y'all seeing some real significant types and shadows and and things, precursors that we, you know, in the Bible, God put precursors in there so that when we got to a moment in time, we would recognize it, we would see, we would know. Another one, Joseph is in prison with a whole bunch of people, but we only hear of two. The baker and the wine taster, right? Yeshua was between two criminals. Joseph is released from the pit and raised to the palace. So was Yeshua. Joseph saved his family and the world. To the Jew first and also to the nations. Joseph was falsely accused by a wife. Israel is the bride, the wife, and Yeshua was falsely accused by the people of Israel. Joseph was mistaken for an Egyptian by his brothers, and Yeshua has been mistaken as a Roman by his brothers. I need to take just a moment to take a sidetrack from my sidetrack. At this time of year, there's always this big debate that goes on about what we should do about what happened yesterday. Um, I found it interesting. This week, I, I was on Facebook, and I saw somebody who wrote a very condemning post about people celebrating Christmas. Now, let me say this. I don't celebrate Christmas. I don't think we should celebrate Christmas. That's my opinion. I also don't beat people up about it. I don't celebrate Christmas because it's never been my thing. It's never been part of my life. I also don't celebrate Chinese New Year, okay? It's not who I am. It's not my culture. It's not my people. It's not what I do. But I don't beat people up about it. But I found it interesting that this person that wrote this very long and detailed post about why believers shouldn't celebrate Christmas, his very next post was about the latest episode of The Mandalorian. For those that don't know, The Mandalorian is a Star Wars spinoff, and Mandalorians are a people of their own religion, and everything about Mandalorian is about this uh, fictional religion that they live under and the code they follow and everything. So I found it interesting that this person thought it was horrible for believers to celebrate a fictional birth. Now, I, I believe He was born. I, I, you know, I, I believe Yeshua was born. I just believe it happened at Sukkot. But that's my own belief. But but the time, nobody really thinks that time was the time anymore. And all of the things that go along with it, I saw the cutest post about the little drummer boy. Because, you know, mom finally got the baby to sleep and here's this little boy beating a drum. I thought, I totally get that. So, but the, the account of his birth in December is, is fictional. It's made up. How you want to handle that is up to you, but it's a historical fact. So, here's this guy complaining about people celebrating a fictional event because of the influence of false religion, and his very next post was celebrating a fictional event based upon a made-up false religion. I thought that was interesting. So, here's what I want to say. I don't bash people for celebrating Christmas, and I'm not going to. I don't do it. It's not my thing, and I don't see it in the Bible, and, but I'm not going to get into all that, and everybody has to make their own decision on how they follow those things, and I hope that you'll be prayerful about that. But if you're going to bash people for it, please be biblically consistent. You know, if you're going to beat someone up for having a beer, please don't do it with a vodka tonic in your hand. <laughs> you know what I mean? If you're going to complain for people for because they're working on Shabbat, don't do it at the store with them. You got what I'm saying? We need to be biblically consistent, however you choose to do it. I wrote a post yesterday, and, and basically my post was, let people fight about that. I'm not going to fight about it. I know what I believe, and I'm going to teach my congregation, the people about here, what I believe and how I feel about it. But those outside of this place and outside of my reach, let them fight amongst themselves. I'm going to tell truth that I see, that I know from the Scripture, let people fight about it. But in the process of doing that, don't lose the fact that the person you're talking to had such great value that God robed Himself in flesh dwelt among us, lived and died so that they'd have an opportunity to be redeemed. In other words, don't get so hateful in sharing love that nobody sees the love. It doesn't mean we don't stand up for truth. I think we have to in all things and not just this one, uh, but all things. But I think we need to do so in a loving way. And I want to say one more thing, and then I'm going to get back to my message, because people like to quote the verse that says, and Yeshua went into the temple and threw over the tables and whipped the people, which I kind of like, but that's separate. That wasn't His first time to the temple. That wasn't Yeshua's first visit. He didn't go to the temple the very first time and flip over tables and beat people okay likewise when you're dealing with people the first time you deal with them don't flip them and beat them when by the time yeshua did that he was speaking to a group of people that were rebellious and knew they were being rebellious there was no ignorance involved in their actions they knew what they were doing and they were purposely doing that and most of the people you talk to have no clue So love them into the kingdom. Anyhow, back to my message. By the way, I love this season. I have more opportunities to share God's Word during this time than any other time of the year. And if you haven't used it, you wasted a couple of good weeks. There's opportunity to share the truths of the Scripture, to dig into the prophetic to share about Yeshua and and all the things I just read, the types and symbols and all the promises of God, and we need to do those things and we need to do them in a powerful way, knowing that God came to redeem everyone, to the Jew first and also the people of the nations, equally not separate. Anyhow, back to my message. And Pharaoh said to Jacob, how old are you? And Jacob said to Pharaoh, The days of the years of my pilgrimage are a hundred and thirty years. Few and evil have the days of my years of my life been and have not attained to the days of the years of the life of my fathers in the days of their pilgrimage. What a testimony. This is the representation of the people Israel. And his answer is, I'm 130 years old, but my days have been evil and few. I haven't lived very long, and they've been horrible years. And I haven't lived as long as my father, and I have not obtained the days that they had. Could you imagine that? That that would be of all the things he could say at that moment, of all the ways he could testify of God's love, of God's mercy, of God's grace, of God's provision. If all he did was say, hey, yeah, you know that guy Joseph? It's my son. That is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. There's lots of things he could have said, but instead of saying any of that, he says the most depressing answer you can possibly imagine. I'm not as old as my dad, and my life's been miserable. What a testimony! How many of us have that testimony? You know, when somebody asks us about our faith, that's kind of our answer. Now, it may be different, but, well, I had to give up doing this and can't do that. Woe is me. What's it the kids used? My kids used to say, uh, I'm going to go eat worms. What's the rest of that? I don't remember. Anyhow, this is in the Bible. Of all the things that could have been said by Jacob to Pharaoh, this is what was there. Now I want to say, none of this changes the story anyway. You could pull those two verses out of this, and it would go from, and Joseph brought in Jacob his father and set him before Pharaoh, and Jacob blessed Pharaoh, and Jacob blessed Pharaoh and went out from before Pharaoh, and the story wouldn't change. The greater narrative wouldn't change at all, but this is there. As we've seen in the past, whenever there's something in the Scripture that doesn't seem like it needs to be there, there must be a reason it's there. The Midrash on this Scripture is interesting. But before we get to that, Yaakov, or Jacob, lived to be 147 years old. You know how old his father lived? Where's all my number, people? He lived to be 180. There's a difference of 33 years between Jacob's misery and his father's blessing. 33 years. Now, to make this more interesting, Jacob's answer to Pharaoh has 25 words. Pharaoh's question to Jacob has eight words. 25 and 8 is 33. The rabbis look at this, and they have a whole midrash on why this is there. Why is, what's the purpose of this? As I said, it doesn't seem to change the story. It doesn't really add to or take away. It's just this almost inconsequential whining that goes, oh, my life is so terrible, woe is me, that goes on in the greater story of God's blessing. And the rabbis look at it and they say that 33 number is there because there's 33 words in the text if you add the answer to the question. And they talk about how important it was to understand this answer about Jacob's misery is the reason why he didn't live as long as his father. And they say he lived 25 years less than his father because he was miserable. And then the other eight are because he caused people to question, ask that question, how old are you instead of who's your God? The 25 years was because his whole life, all he did was complain. He made bad decisions. Jacob is an interesting character because although we say our fathers, Avraham, Yitzhak, and Yaakov, and we put Jacob in that with Abraham and Isaac... Jacob's example as a father is not a really good one. Uh, what we read about him is he had favorite children, and he enticed his favorite children to be uh, to demonstrate their favoritism over his other children. It's not a really good dad moment, is it? My, uh, I was at the wedding the other day, and I introduced my daughter-in-law to somebody, and I said, this is my son, David, and my daughter-in-law, Danny, and I said, and she's my favorite. And she said, he says that when the other one is here too, you know, because they're sisters, not, not David and Andrew's sisters, there's David and Andrew's wife, but their sisters. My, my son's married sisters, to clarify that, not theirs, <laughs> but, but sisters. But the point is, they both know that when I talk about them, they're both my favorites. My son David and Andrew, whenever they wanted anything and I gave it, they go, why'd you give it to him? You like him more? Sure, I like him more. That's why. But they knew that both of them, I did things that the other one didn't get and any time I did it, I'd say, oh, it's because of my favorite. There's some of the kids in this room. And I'm not going to ask them to stand up because they'll find out lots of their sisters and brothers hear the same thing from me. But I get close to them and I go, you know, you're my favorite, right? Now, of course, I do that to every one of the kids in the family. But the point is, that's not how Jacob was. He actually did treat his children differently, which violated the Torah. And he was a bad example of a father based on Torah commandment. And so he's got this, but then... The bigger problem, the bigger sin is that of all the things that Pharaoh could have asked of Jacob, of all the things about God, about God's love, about God's grace, about God's provision, about the miracles God had done, all those things that he could have said, the only thing Pharaoh could come up with when confronted by this man was, how old are you? And I think the rabbis have that right to a good extent, and I think there's a lesson in there that we can learn about how we present ourselves. When we meet someone new, is their first question, how old are you? And listen, the reason he asked that question is because he looked older than he was, because he looked like he'd lived a long, difficult life. You know, I used to have brown hair. You guys did this. But of all the things, when you meet somebody as a representative of the kingdom of God, is their first thought was, boy, this person looks like they've had a rough life. Boy, how old are you? Is that really the first question? And, and But that's the first question. Pharaoh, the king of all Egypt, the most powerful man in the world, has an opportunity to ask Jacob one question, and his only question is, you look like you've been beat up in this life. How old are you? And Jacob doesn't fix it by saying, yeah, I know I look rough right now, but you should see all the blessings in my life. You should see what God has done. Let me tell you. He answers by saying, yeah, you're right. I look old because I've been beat up. I look old because my life's been rough. It's been miserable. It's been my, my years are few and they've been evil. What a horrible testimony. But I think it goes further than that. I think the 33 deals with the number of years Yeshua lived and how those 33 years are the years after our misery, after our bondage, after we didn't know the Savior. Remember, this happens after they find out who their Savior is. This is after Joseph is revealed, this is after all that happens. And now he gets to the years after our misery. Those years based on something that our Redeemer, our Savior, the one who made a way for us to escape all of the problems of the world. Listen, I'm not going to tell you that that's Leah's phone. What song was that? It's your mom's phone? Okay. Mom, in the future, make sure that Leah takes care of that before service. She should know better. She should not embarrass you by not taking care of that. Listen, in all of the prophetic things that are in this text there's this little drop-in of two verses that when you read, just say, how old are you? And the answer is, I'm miserable. But in those two verses is the hidden blessing of the promise of redemption and the 33 years that make our lives of value. Those 33 years that brought realness and wholeness and wellness and provision and blessing into our lives because all of us would be just like Jacob without Yeshua. All of us would just be miserable. We would just be a bunch of old young people whose only testimony is, it ain't as good as it was, except for these words that we just read through and usually don't even pay attention to because they're just an add-in, they're just something thrown in there, that we just go on to see the more important symbolisms of the resurrection, of the, of the blessings, of the provision, of the, all the things that I read earlier. But these verses, not one thing in the Bible is left there or put there for no purpose. We talked in the early class, and Dave, I'm going to keep you from having to holler, We talked in the early class about the months in the Torah. You know, the the Torah lists and and the, the Tanakh lists the calendar months that are put on the Jewish calendar, and many of those months are named after pagan gods, yet the Torah commands us not to mention or talk about the names of pagan gods, but if you read the Torah, you have to mention these pagan gods. Well, why is that? Why would God tell us not to do something and then make it impossible for us not to do it? And the truth is that God does things for the same reason that we do things. You know, earlier in the service our children came up and gathered behind the Torah and followed the Torah around. And that's to remind them that the children of Israel traveled through the wilderness and followed the leading of the ark and God's plan, but it's also to teach them That their life, they should spend it all following the Torah. There's a point in the service where we lifted the Torah up and we pointed at it and said, this is the Torah that God gave to Moses because that is the Torah that God gave to Moses, not the very Torah. I'm not a TV evangelist. This is from the very Torah that God gave to... But we do things to remind us of things. And we have Babylonian names on our calendar to remind us that we were in Babylon. And we were in Babylon because we sinned. And so every time we read those words, those names, it should cause us to cringe a little bit because of our history. But also to make a little bit of a commitment never to put ourselves in that situation again. These things are there so that we'll be reminded so that we don't do it again. It's the same thing about Jacob's story. Jacob's in there because of a bad father who made a bad decision. A brother who makes other decisions. His brothers who then uh, pretend to kill him and sell him into slavery. Now, how many come from large families? I did. I had seven brothers and sisters. If selling one of my siblings into slavery was a real option... There were times, I would, have, you know, but, but we don't do it because we understand the ramifications and how important family is, and we realize that we need that brother. How many know that if Joseph was in Israel instead of in Egypt, Israel would have been the place that God provided from instead of Egypt? Do you realize that? God was going to use Joseph because it fit into the greater narrative of his plan. Joseph's brothers caused God to have to do what he was going to do somewhere else. Because God's going to do exactly what he plans. Someone asked me this week. I got seven minutes. I think I can do this. Someone asked me this week about the difference between God's sovereignty and our will. if God is sovereign, do we really have free will? Because if He's in control of everything, then isn't He in control of us? And if He's in control of us, do we really have free will? I made the comment earlier about the people that came late to service, right? And I'm not picking on anybody. It's just the way people are. I understand. But but if, if God knew you were going to be here at that time, were you really late? <laughs> I wasn't talking about you particularly, Jeannie. There were a lot of people that came late just before you. But if God is totally sovereign, then are we in control of our own lives? And the answer is yes, because God is sovereign of the entirety, but He's outside of time. So, He knows what's going to happen because it's already happened where He is, although we haven't done it yet. So, we have the perfect choice to make all the choices we make But God already knows the choice we're going to make because he's already there. So both are correct. God allowed these things to happen because he gave us choice. But he knew they were going to happen so we would know. And we could avoid doing the same things over. I did something different today, and this is Carlene's fault. I live an extremely simple life. I like it that way. I do. I have two kinds of pants. I have khakis and blue jeans. If it's Shabbat or somewhere I'm going dressed up, I wear khakis. Everything else it's blue jeans. I have to make no other decisions in my life. My shirt is whichever one is on the right, because if you only wear khakis and blue jeans, everything matches. So my wife just adds clothes to the left and I pull them from the right. My life is easy that way. If it's a folded clothes, it's the one on top, except for the one pair of pants I refuse to wear that keeps getting put on the bottom. I only had two kinds of socks. White socks and black socks, that's it. Carlene, in her attempt to show love for me, bought me these. And by doing so, without knowing she changed my world All my normal has now long, no longer there. I now have to make decisions because not only did she buy me these, but she bought me two others, <laughs> and they're different. <laughs> so everything that happens from the other day on now has changed because now I have to think, do I wear the, these or these, and do these go with khaki? Okay, now I know that seems funny, but that's the reason we have the Scriptures. Because God put in His Word all of the changes that people did in their lives so that we could learn from them and then adapt our lives to not make the mistakes that they made. He gave us the Torah so we'd have something to follow, and He gave us the rest of it so we'd know what happens if you don't. And if you do. And within all of that are these beautiful prophetic passages that make us ready to see Him in the text. Jacob had this conversation with Pharaoh so that you and I today could read Genesis 47 and see Yeshua in the passage. And so that Peter and John and all the rest of them 2,000 years ago could read it and see Yeshua. And so when Yeshua came and He lived 33 years, everybody familiar with this passage went, ding, there's something here. There's 33. There's 33 years, 33 words. There must be something here. Let's pay attention for a 33. When a 33 shows up, we'll know to look. That's the same reason we see 48s and 40s and 3s and 8s and 7s. So that when we see them in 10s, so we see them, we'll pay attention. We'll know, but there wasn't a 33 to match with this 33 until Yeshua came and lived and gave his life. And that 33 connects directly with these passages and the story of Jacob and Joseph and his brothers which perfectly align with the life, the death, and the resurrection of Yeshua as our Redeemer. Let's all stand. There's not a word, there's not a sentence, there's not a number that wasn't put in the Scripture so that we would see Yeshua. You know, when the music first started, I thought Tamar was already here playing the piano (laughs) with that, that tone. We need to understand how significant the promises of our redemption are in the Torah. If you take the Torah and you just throw it away, if you say, well, we just need the New Testament, we're okay with that. Everything we need is in the New Testament. We miss all of this that God put in place just so that we would know and recognize who Yeshua was. Every word from the first word to the last word is about Him. And if we don't pay attention to it, we miss it. And if we miss all of that, all we have is, I ain't as old as my dad and my life's been pretty miserable. I don't want that to be our testimony. I want to be able to share about what God has done, what He is doing, and what He will do. The God who is, the God who was, and the God who forever will be. Amen. May the Lord. And his face shine upon you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. And give you peace. Ja er panavela this is the way you shall be blessed. From day to day, he'll be your rest. Lord, may the Lord bless and keep you. May his grace and his face shine upon you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace and give you peace and give you and give you peace. Gather together with your loved ones. Yev rechah Adonai ve'yishmerecha Ya'er Adonai panavelecha v'ichunecha Yisadonai panavelecha veyasem lecha lecha, shalom. Adonai bless you and keep you. Adonai make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. Adonai lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. B'Shem Yeshua Meshkenu, Sar Shalom, in the name of Yeshua our Messiah, the Prince of Peace. Amen.